Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. We've been reading, in the process of reading seven letters from this apocalyptic book called Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Uh, These letters were sent by Jesus to seven individual churches uh, given to their angels. That's who delivered the letters. Uh, This is late first century in the area of what would now be in modern-day Turkey. Uh, We don't know the people. We can't see their faces in these communities. We only get a couple of names in, in the seven letters, and that's not particularly that informative when we do. But what's fascinating is these seven letters made their way into the New Testament. They became Scripture. And so we're with them, and we're asking not what happened in the first century alone. We're asking what might we pick out in these letters that could be timely, relevant messages from Jesus for us. Uh, Do you think there's an angel of Rock Hill? Uh, I don't know. I wonder what it's like to be that angel, (laughs) if you're the angel of Rock Hill uh, but what, if there is, what letter would he deliver for us, to us? What would he say? So today we're hearing Jesus address church number five. That's the fifth church in order. We got two more. It's a little bit impersonal way to say it. Uh, it sounds like a fire engine or something. You know, good old fire engine number five. We always like that one. But um, this is Sardis. This is the town of Sardis, the church that's in that So we'll call it the first church of Sardis, because literally it was probably the first church of Sardis. Um, So let's hear what Jesus has to say. Revelation, this is Revelation 3, 1 to 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. So what do we know about Sardis? Sardis is a town on top of a very steep, uh, hill. Uh, Sardis considered itself, because of its kind of geography, it was also at the intersection of five different Roman-built roads. So, I don't know, maybe think Vale, and here's why I say that, because Sardis is a very wealthy town. It's a commercial hub because of its intersection, and it also considered itself impenetrable. Because of its geography, it was hard to get to it as far as uh, militarily, Uh, but it wasn't. Uh, It thought of itself that way a long time. In 539 B.C., Cyprus, the Persian king, ordered an attack successfully. Sardis, and then in 218, Antiochus, which was a Greek Seleucid uh, leader, also attacked Sardis successfully. So like they had learned historically that they're not as defense, uh, impenetrable as they may have thought. But it was filled with wealthy people. We don't know that much about the makeup of this Jesus community in it. Uh, we don't get any names, nor, like most of the other letters, do we get any real cues that tell us what's going on in that community. There's no, like, mention of false teaching, like some of them. There's no mention of immorality in the community. There's no 
specificity at all. Uh, there is a mention that some people are walking with Jesus faithfully, but there is a problem in Sardis, and it's a big, big problem. Sardis is about to get addressed by Jesus. So let's hear what he has to say. The one having or holding the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says. Remember this, when he referenced the seven spirits of God, normally our best thought on that is that's just a reference to the Holy Spirit who's present in each one. And then the seven stars explicitly refers to each of these seven communities. We know that because it names that earlier uh, in chapter 2, or maybe the end of chapter 1. So this is Jesus talking. We already are aware of that, if you've been with us for a while. Here's what he says. I know your works. He starts every address to each of these communities saying, I know about you. He says, I know, and then here's the literal translation. translation. I know you have a name of life. I mean, if you were just woodenly translating it, that's how it translates. I know you have a name of life. Uh, what it means is you have a reputation. Yeah, and your reputation is good. It's, a, it's of being alive. But then hear what Jesus says. That I know you are dead. The stunning part about the address is this contrast. You have a reputation of life. Others think really highly of you. You're alive. Maybe there's a lot of, they were doing, I don't know, a lot going on. Maybe, you know, the, the community was, was flush in cash, relatively speaking. You've made a name for yourself. In one way or the other, we don't really know how. But Jesus says, on the inside, something is really wrong. It's different. There may be vibrant, green-looking leaves on your tree, metaphorically. But Jesus is saying, if you look closer, ah, those leaves are like scotched taped on the tree. There's no life there. I see it. No matter what others think they see, I see you, Jesus says. I see clearly, and what I see is not life. In fact, what I see is death. So what, <laughs> what do you do when you get assessed like that? This isn't like, okay, like you guys are doing pretty, pretty good over here, but we'd like to see some improvement over here. You know, work on these things and let's, let's do a 90-day review. Uh-uh, that's not what this is. This is, you think you're alive, I see death. It couldn't be more stark. So what do you do? We don't have to guess. Jesus is about to tell them what they need to do. And he gives them five verbs, and that's really what we're going to, that's the lens through which we're going to look at his address, or the five verbs, because really it's what's clear in his address, in this short address. 
So let's let the verbs address us. Let's let them talk to us this morning. That's our quest uh, this morning. He's going to give these five verbs in two groups. He groups the first two together, and then he has a trio of verbs. And it's, you know, this one's really easy to like dissect in that way. So here's the first two. <clears throat> he starts off by saying, be watchful <clears throat> and strengthen what remains, that which is about to die. Be watchful and strengthen what you got left in you. Now, your translation may read, mine does, I think, instead of be watchful, it reads, wake up. <clears throat> That's a terrible translation. I'm sorry to break the news to you. Uh, that is a theme we see in Scripture some, those words, wake up. But this word does not mean wake up. It never does. It's different than that. It means be watchful. It means get alert and stay alert. It's the present tense. It, it, wake up kind of has the sense of like startle yourself, you know, shake yourself. And it's kind of momentary. Uh, you, know, you know what comes to mind when I think of that is Kramer, like on science. You know, when, someone, when he walks in the door and he's like, it's like, I don't know, I just laugh. Th thank you for laughing. That's not what he's saying. <clears throat> this is what's interesting. He, he delivers this really serious analysis, and then he's prescribing something that isn't momentary. He's saying, learn to be watchful. I, I, I need you to establish a way of being. And so English words never quite capture what it originally said, but like, being alert, staying watchful. Always be watching. English major, if there's one in the room. It's a participle. Participles mean get started and keep going. Stay in this. Make watchfulness your way. Make it continuous. Not like waking up from your sleep, but like start a new pattern of living. Be watchful. I think this is important. There's something here. I think it's an interesting way to prescribe moving a con from a condition of death to life. It's formational in nature. It's not just a pill they can take. He's not prescribing a singular experience, although experiences will probably be part of it, but an ongoing attending to their lives. <clears throat> what helps us grasp this, I think, is when you get to pull the second verb in. They pair together really well. The second verb is stand up. It's translated here strengthen, and I think that's pretty good. The root of this word is related to just standing. Uh, it's the Greek word sterizo. It's where we get to where like Stand up purposefully. Sometimes it means support. Like, like maybe like a tomato, you gardeners, like a steak. You got a tomato plant and it gets to that height where it's got to have help. Or, or the fruit's just going to drag it to the ground. And so you stake it. Uh, or maybe like a, someone uses a cane 
to give them support, to give them stability. That's the word. Strengthen, support. Last year, Cindy and I did something that I said for decades we would never do. Let me show you. Right here. We'd pass these old people on the path using these things, and I'd be like, never. (laughs) And the last five or six years, Cindy's been like, we should get some of those hiking poles. And I'm like, never happened. And uh, so I lost, and uh, a couple years ago, we got them, and then finally, we actually used them this summer, this past summer. And um, I, and I know young people use them too. I mean, some people swear by them. It's not just an old person thing. But for me, it, it was like an artifact of admitting that you can't walk without them on the path anymore. And, and, um, but, but that's, I think, what this word is getting at. It's admitting that I can't just put a new measure in place. I have to figure out a way to sustain it. You know, like for me, once we used the poles, I was like, yeah, I fought that, but now that we've used them, I like using the poles a lot better than the twisted ankle that happens about every other hike in my life. And so it's like, after that long hike, I'm glad I have them. There were times in which they really made a difference, you know, and I think overall, cumulatively, they made a difference. That's what Jesus is prescribing. I'm giving, I'm saying to you, you've got to take on a new way of living alertly. And you've got to put some practices in your life that sustain that way. You've got to support it. I'm not saying he's being as sophisticated, you know, as I'm saying. I mean, he's obviously capable of being a lot more sophisticated than, am I, than, than me. I'm just saying that's what he's saying. It's like you've got to live differently, and you've got to figure out a way to keep living that difference. It's not a matter of just start doing something new. It's living new and sustaining it. Establish a way of awareness. And here's... We get another striking cold water in the face after he gives this formational way of living. He says, for I have not found your works to have been completed in the presence of my God. What an interesting way to say it. I've not found your works having be completed in the presence of my God. Now, here the verb, having been completed, is also a nuanced. It's in the perfect tense, which means process. The perfect tense indicates not something done once, but something that started and something that is now continuing. It has a a little bit different angle than just present or past tense. I've not found your works having been completed in the sight of my God. I think this is one of those scriptures, at least for me, that like just hearing it, just reading it or studying it, it doesn't really bring it to me. 
very effectively. I have to meditate on this one. I have to be with it. And I think much of Scripture is that way. I think a lot of times we were raised, we've been raised in church culture where if you just study, do your Bible study, it gets you there. Well, for me, it may bring understanding. It didn't bring that much sustenance, honestly. But like being with and meditating on before God, asking the Spirit to make it be with me, that's a game changer. If we had been in a first century Central Asian community like Sardis, meditating was the way you read. To the Hebrews, when it came to Scripture, meditating was always the way you read it. You didn't read it any other way. You didn't do Bible study. You repeated it over and over. You immersed yourself in it. You thought about it from every possible angle. That's all meditation is. You kept it close to you. My point from this whole first section is this is formational language. Be watchful. Sustain that watchfulness. Because I've not found you able to sustain. You're not completed. So he then goes to the trio of verbs. Therefore, remember, that's verb number three or verb number one in this group, what you've received, keep it close. That's the second verb. We'll say a little more about that here. The third verb is repent. Remember, keep it, repent. Remember. The word here is a call to remember purposefully. Not just call to mind and move on, but to remember with purpose and focus what God has, what you've received specifically. I like that, that phrase follows remember. Remember what you've received. You ever do that? I'll bet you do. You ever just stop and have to remind yourself who you are in Jesus? You have to remind yourself what he's done for you. That's what he's saying. It's very simple. Do you ever have to remember the vibrancy of your faith? That once was. And then the second verb, it, it just these three, they, they overlap. They're not like three steps. The second word is a simple word. It just means keep. Remember and keep it. Maybe your Bible says obey. And I think that's a good translation for it. It's not technically the word obey. It's just keep. Remember and keep it with you. Keep it close at hand. Be with it. Obey, I think, is good because it's like keeping it. This doesn't mean keep it in mind. It means let it do its work. Remember what you've received and let that form you. Let it shape your life. And then obey. And then thirdly, repent. 
Repent. Change your thinking. Last weekend, those of you who got to come to the retreat, we, after lunch on Sunday, we like got big, everybody got a big post-it note. And um, the, our question was kind of oriented around that model of the cycle of grace, the third piece. And like if this is new to you, this, hopefully I'm helping it make a little bit of sense anyway. But the third part is significance. And the significance piece basically asks us, what's the significance of my life? Another way to frame it came from uh, our friend Trevor who said, what's the genuine in you? What's the genuine in your soul? What is that part of you that's in there that's like, reflective of the work of God in your life, that, that, that brings significance to your life. Another one way to look at it is like, what is your gift to the world? It doesn't necessarily have to be like boutique or unique. It's just like, what is God doing in you? What has he done you? And so we, we tried to ask that question corporately. We, 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 we split our post-it note on the wall and one side was like, for me as an individual, we kind of, and then we went to the other side and said, what about us as a community? And, and as I've reflected, so, I've, so this week, I've got all those post-it notes, there's like 30 of them, and I've, I've typed them all up, and now I'm going to give you to Daniel, give them to Daniel Pons, and he's going to put them in a spreadsheet, because <laughs> that's what Daniel Pons does. But like, I got to tell you, and I'm not going to go into this now. It was super encouraging to me. Super encouraging to me when I got done and I started looking at them. Because I, I got a little snapshot of what we say, who we say we are, and what our significance is. And, and as I've like been dealing with this passage this week, it was like, we got to keep this close. This isn't, I mean, this is just the beginning of our conversation, but it's like these things that we've named collectively here, that is at least in part our gift. We have to keep these near. And then there's this call to repent, and we've talked about repentance some. The word just means with the mind, that's what the word means, um. Sometimes I think we've draped all other kinds of things on it. But the, its essence is change your thinking. Change your thinking. Repent. In other words, think differently. It's not just that it's just, you know, cognitive. but Because it, it also has a meaning of turn. Go a different direction. And so now let's put these three together real quickly. Um, remember, keep it close, and always be renewing. Where do I need to think differently again? Where do I need to turn? I mean, I think we can identify with those actions, can't we? We, we can see how much we need them. So back to Sardis for a minute. Like I, I mentioned earlier, what's, what's really interesting about Sardis is we don't know that much. 
we, we know there's a good chance uh, because Sardis was wealthy that maybe this is also a wealthy community. We don't know that for sure. This could have been the poor in the town. We don't know because we don't get much information. But what we also know is nothing specific is addressed. It's not like you got a divisive people in your group or there's a bunch of people doing sexual immorality all over the place or you have false teaching. It was just this analysis of death. And so it causes me to wonder if what this death looks like is laxness. You know, I think about them thinking they were impenetrable. That no one could touch them. We, maybe we've got all we need. We're comfortable. It, it just makes me think of complacency. You know, and, and that's made me think about like, I've thought about those verbs, be watchful and support it. And it's like complacency and laxness is like always a problem. Like I'm capable of, of, of being those things at any given time. I'm, I'm capable of getting numb. It, whether I'm anxious or comfortable, I still like can even prefer my anxious state. You know, I, I'm just capable. I need this pattern of remembering and keeping what God is doing close and repenting where I'm not. I mean, that just has to become the way I'm doing life. And I think that's what Jesus is calling death. And he's not playing with it. Listen to what he says. Another sobering thing. If you're not watchful, I will come to you as a thief. And you will not know the hour. And then literally it reads, when I come against you, or I come upon you. We just have to let those words just be what they are. I mean, he's not talking about the second coming here. He's specifically addressing Sardis. If you guys don't get out of this funk, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, the clock is ticking. If I don't see something different, I'm coming. And it will be upon you and against you. Jesus isn't playing. You know, if we... One thing that's helpful is to think about. I often go when I'm when I'm meditating on something to the Sermon on the Mount, because it is Jesus Magna Carta address about what it means to be is and what it means to live in the kingdom. It doesn't say everything, but I'm always amazed what I can find and what what I the, the relationship I found here is like the way Jesus talks about the Pharisees, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He calls it. They were the green leaves scotch-taped on the dead tree. They had the reputation, they had the acts, they had fasting, they had prayer, they gave to the poor. They were involved in the community. Scotch-taped leaves on dead branches. That's what all that was. Meanwhile, there were folks gathered around Jesus as he's giving this sermon who don't belong. They're sitting there on the rocks because that's what, where they have to sit. They're, they're, they're resting in the crags on that side of that hill. 
and they're wobbly people. They're meek, mournful, insecure, hungry people. And Jesus looks at them and says, you are the lucky ones. You're blessed. They didn't look blessed. But they were. Why? Because they were with him. Not because they had the whole discipleship thing down. But they kind of did. Because they were with him. And they were attentive to him. They were tending to him. So he looks at him and says, you guys are the ones illuminating the darkness. You guys are the one bringing the flavor in the culture. You are my beloved. You're the ones in whom there's genuine in the soul. Keep that. Don't let the light go under the basket. Don't let the salt lose its flavor. Keep it. Live in that work of God. Operate out of the genuine. Operate out of your identity in me. You've got that. Do that. And that's what he's saying here. That little bit of life, Sardis, you got left in you, better remain in that. So let, let's bring it home and then be done. Maybe we can recap a little bit from those trio of verbs. Remember. Remember what we've seen and heard. Call it up. I think sometimes remembering is a courageous act. We're, we're in the middle of fog or friction. I think sometimes one of the most courageous things you can do is remember the goodness of God. Stop. Call to mind when he's been especially felt present or near or comforting or encouraging or challenging. When he's called you out, when he's called you forward. Remember how you came to him, believing, trusting, risking. Remember how much you lacked. How he met you in your poverty as you were. How fragmented you were in your makeup. How distorted you were in your perspectives. How conflicted you were in your desires. Remember how he met you. Maybe those, those things still feel like they describe your life sometimes. They do mine. But remember, in every situation, how he met you, how he's met you, and been good to you. So I think that's the first question. Will you remember? And will you, will you keep that? Will you hold on to that? And then will you repent? Because I think... To go back to kind of the tone of this address, what Jesus is addressing is not wake up. He's addressing establish a way of living that's going to allow you to sustain living in my presence, my kingdom. So repent. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't block out what you remember when you know the good and the true. Don't turn up the radio so you can not hear the rattle in your soul. Don't rip that tape off the warning light. 
when it comes on. Don't medicate the pain with synthetic solutions. Stop that. Return to the source of your true healing, to what healed you in the first place. Repent, turn, face it, stare it right in the face, and repent. Back to the post-it notes. God has been shaping us, friends. He's been shaping us. At our next common conversations that Daniel announces two Tuesdays, we, we shoehorned one in November 7th because um, we realized several weeks ago we needed to. But there's, there's some really amazing ways God has been shaping us. We, he's still got lots of work to do. We know that. But there's some wonderful things he's been doing in us especially over the past few years. And we can become numb to those things in a New York minute. We can forget them. And I think he's offering an opportunity. I think one of the ways we move forward and redream is by attending to that which we've seen him already do. I'm not saying it's all of it, but I think it's a meaningful part that we must do. So, are we living in a place of watchfulness and sustaining that watchfulness? Are you? Are you being watchful? Listening to his voice? Are you, do you have supporting practices in place that help nurture? This is one of them. As a community, gathering. If not, we find ourselves with Sardis. We may have the appearance of life, but we're not. God is not demanding sinlessness from us. He's not demanding that we all have it together. I think we know that. But he is seeking out those whose hearts are fully alive, who are truly with him. We may be sitting on a rock, but we're with him, watchful supporting, remembering, keeping, repenting. I'll close with the words of the prophet Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for us? Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And the letter to Sardis ends with the familiar words, Let he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So what is the Spirit saying? the Spirit saying in this letter for us to us anybody have an answer for that an immediate thing something's burning in your soul that you, you need to blurt out now Then, the 
Let's meditate on those questions. Let me pray. Lord, I'm, I'm thinking about how much work we've had to do the last season of our community to, re, to recall and revisit the past. And it's mainly been oriented around the hard stuff. What happened? Why was that so hard? Why did these people leave or whatever it is? Is, is there something I don't know? or whatever, but Lord, we're turning, but we also want to remember, and we, we will keep processing hard stuff, That's a health, can, be a, can be a healthy thing to do, but Lord, will we remember what we've received, the good you've done, the work you have and continue to form in us, that's a part of our significance what we have to offer that can be seeds of future hope, fruitfulness in our community. Lord, we pray that you would continue to shape us to be a people that are being watchful and keeping that which you've done in us. We often want to imagine just a whole like totally different new thing. Lord, what if you're bringing something new out of the work you've already begun? Maybe it looks a lot like that. Help us to see it. Help us to trust the work you're doing. Thank you for your word that addresses us, that assesses us. May it have its way with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll all stand with us.